This show is brought to you by Female Alliance Media, by women, for women. Hello, hello. This is Becca. I'm host of the Go Be Great podcast. There's no such thing as TMI here. So join me as we chat and meet amazing humans, having conversations about life, confidence, and more without the filter. Come hang weekly as I shed light on the topics we often feel we need to hide as we discuss the ebbs and flows of what learning about what being great really looks like. Let's be great together. Tune in for new episodes every Wednesday. Hello, and welcome to the Say It Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Christine Daynard, and the goal of this podcast is to encourage you to live your best and most authentic life by digging deeper and finding connection through vulnerability. I believe we have been taught that vulnerability is a weakness when in fact it is our superpower. In this space, I will share personal stories and conversations with others so you can be empowered by their strength and inspired to take action in your own life. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Say It Out Loud podcast. You've got me, Christine D, and I am welcoming a lovely guest in my kitchen studio. We're sitting around Sunshine Island. That's what I call it. I painted my island yellow because there was a lot of time there where there was like no people around. We needed some sunshine. I was like, the island is the sunshine. Anyway, you didn't need to know that, but now you know. So I'm sitting here with Fran Garten, and I am thrilled to share not only her and some of her story, but as we do it around here, we talk about things that matter and about stories and things that we've overcome and things that just happen, and we have a little fun, and sometimes there's some tears, and well, we'll just see where it goes today. So I'm really excited to introduce Fran. Fran, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. And I would love for us to start by you maybe giving a little introduction of yourself to our listeners. Okay, I would love to do that. I am Fran. I am very close to Christine geographically, but also getting closer to her personally, which is awesome. <laughs> um, I am a pain reduction coach. I am a body positive personal trainer. I am a fibromyalgia warrior. And I help people learn to live pain-free. And I'm sure a lot of people could use your help. Yep. Yeah. Now I got kind of an inside scoop in your story because I knew parts of your story. But then uh, we just happened last night where we are today is a Tuesday. We're recording this. And last night we were at a Mo Mondays event. And Fran spoke on stage and gave a fairly condensed version of her story, I'm sure, but parts of it anyways. And so we'll, we'll bring that in a little bit because clearly it speaks to what you do and sort of how you got involved, which is really my first question. Um, so maybe you can tell our listeners, you know, you've, you've labeled off a number of things there. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> One of those things started first and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So my previous work life profession was as an adult educator with the school board which I did for 16 years and I really really loved it and then uh, so that was the first piece and then at the same time (laughs) I started playing roller derby and I ended up becoming the head trainer for my roller derby team no way yeah 
because I guess I had the most experience. My dad was a professional bodybuilder. He competed in like Mr. Ontario and things like that. So I had learned a lot of stuff from him. And so I guess I was the most knowledgeable. I don't know. Nobody else wanted the job. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but there, here I am. I'm the head trainer. I'm okay. So then I thought I should probably get some information and like get some education so that I could back up and have a better idea of how to do training for my teammates. And so I became a certified personal trainer. Hmm. And so then people started asking me to train them. And I'm like, okay. So the intention was never to have it as a business. It literally was so that I could train my team. That That's it. That's why I got the certification. And then I became a boot camp instructor. I, I don't recommend that at all. Not the instructor part, but the boot camp. I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's uh the body it's it's rough on the body anyway and then from there I started doing stuff for myself with other coaches and mindset things and you know body things and and all these sorts of trainings and guidance from others and then I realized as I was going through my own journey getting my fibro diagnosis which was about 10 years ago um that there's more than just the physical piece for wellness. There's the mindset. Food is an issue as well. It's something to consider. There's a lot of things to think about. Stress management, all of those things. And so I realized that there really are a lot of people out there who are suffering with pain. And if you have a fibromyalgia diagnosis, the information is poo. A big pile well, yeah. of poo. Yeah. And basically, like I had friends that had fibro. I talked to them. I went the doctor route. I did all the things. And basically, I got in summary, so you don't have to read. Anyone that's listening, if you have fibro, you don't have to read anything. This is how it works. <laughs> Take your meds or don't. It might help. It might not. That's how life is. It sucks. Deal with it. Move on. Like mm. that, that basically in essence, like I read every book, every article, websites, medical things, non-medical things, alternative, med- like everything. And basically it just was like, well, that's just the way it is. And I kind of thought, well, that's just shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. So cause fibromyalgia, yes. tell us like yeah. what part of you does that impact? Yeah. And, okay. And yeah. how, cause then it just helps our listeners yeah. if they're not familiar. It helps yeah. Them so first of all, I would say that there are many people that I have encountered, even clients that I'm currently working with, they have fibromyalgia. They don't have a diagnosis, but I can tell you that they have fibro. Hmm. So what fibro is, is your receptors in the body that receive information from outside are hyperactive. They're very sensitive, okay? So what that means is if, like right now we're in your kitchen and there's no lights on and there's plants in front of the window, it's extremely bright in here for me. Mm, Interesting. So all of your senses are Heightened. heightened. And so it doesn't matter whether it's smell or sound or touch or light or whatever it is, it's super, super sensitive. So when something happens, your receptors tell your brain, that, okay, we got some input here, we need to respond. And so for someone who doesn't have fibro, the easiest way to describe it is for you, Christine, you don't have fibro, right? Okay. So you bang your hand on the counter and you kind of go, oh, that hurts a little bit. And you kind of rub the spot. Oh, maybe you put something on it. Maybe you don't. And then after even a couple of minutes, you're fine. And it goes away. For somebody that has fibro, that could be 
painful, like your pain level would be like one, two out of 10. Mine could be 15. It w- it's that intense. And I could be in pain for days. Huh. It could start a flare. So and, is it just, is it not just, but is it inflammation? No. Or So, so yes. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing about fibro. So when you Google it, it will tell you that fibro is from the arthritis family. So fibro is not from the arthritis family. Just, I think they just didn't know where to put it. Mm. Um, because it, it's, it's, uh, they say it's an autoimmune system problem. Uh, I don't know what the labels are and I don't really deal with that. I don't really care mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But, um, so, cause arthritis is inflammatory. Fibro isn't. Arthritis is progressive. Fibro isn't. Hmm. It is degenerative if I have arthritis, but not with fibro. Hmm. But the interesting thing is that when you have inflammation in your body, then your fibro responds to that. Interesting. So the well, pain... inflammation already makes you more sensitive absolutely, to begin with. Absolutely. And then you think... I, I always explain it like, imagine, you know, your forearm. You have... All the cells are healthy. The muscles and everything's healthy. And then you have inflammation here. So maybe the inflammation is because you ate food that causes inflammation in the gut. Okay, so you're going to get that through various parts of the body, maybe all through the body. And then my arm... <laughs> starts to the cells start to get bigger right because there's inflammation in there but there's only so much space in my arm Mm. and so then as they expand because they're getting inflamed it's actually hitting my arm it's hitting the skin it's hitting the bone so it's causing pain because there's more taking up a limited space if that makes sense the Mm. way i explained it yeah and so you know when it comes to fibro it's not inflammatory, but many people that have pain, they have the inflammation and that's what's causing the pain. So if we can control the inflammation and reduce it, then in theory, then the pain associated with fibro should decrease. Because hmm. I imagine then that, like you said, the doctor says you have fibro, take these pills or not. Oh, <laughs> oh, my Google just kicked in and I didn't even ask her anything. Isn't that handy? <laughs> Let's try that again. So I may or may not cut that out. I'm not sure. That's kind of funny. Anyways, um, so you get identified. Doctor tells you you have fibro, take these meds or don't, but like they don't have any other solutions. So most people probably just go and take the meds and hope for the best. Because does the, does the doctor say, hey, there's, I would imagine not, because most of our medical doctors aren't super involved with or understanding of like nutrition and how it impacts the body, right? Or how we feed it, how we, our surroundings, all those things. So they don't say anything to you about, hey, these are some of the things you could do or... No, she's, you should see Fran looking around So I'm right going to talk right now. I'm going to say what I, I'm going to say what I want to say. Yeah, say what so you want to say. So I'm not against the medical world. I did follow my doctor's direction and I did take my meds and they helped. But the thing is, is that people that are in the medical, no, people in any field, they have their own perspective. They have their own area of expertise and that's the guidance that they're going to give you. So if you go to a medical doctor, then they're going to prescribe meds because that's what they've been taught. Right. They haven't really been taught other things, right? If you go, so my doctor referred me to a rheumatologist. And so when you go to the rheumatologist, which by the way, took like almost a year to get there. So if you think you have fibro, ask for a referral so we can get the process going because it can take a while. He gave me meds and, he, but what he did first was what's called a, a, a trigger point. You have 
there are 18 sites in the body and upon touch of them, if you have 11 that are intense when someone touches you and, and touch for me in those areas is, uh, the amount of pressure that you're putting with your fingers is like two out of 10. So it's not hard. Like I'm not pressing on that area. I'm literally just touching it. It's a touch test. If you have 11 of those 18 sites, you have fibromyalgia and that's it. And so a lot of people that have it, it's the neck and the shoulders, uh, the upper back, the hips, the glutes, maybe the calves, those kinds of areas, the chest, um, insides of the arms, those are very sensitive areas. So those are where all the trigger points are that are the ones that they look at, that they touch to give you your diagnosis. And that's all they do for that. But so the thing is, is that when you go to whoever you're going to, then they are trained in a particular area and Mm -hmm. to do, to treat things a particular way. So I'm not saying don't go the medical route. You absolutely should. That's how you get your referral and that's how you decide what you're going to do. But the thing is, is that it wasn't helping me. It wasn't getting like, I live pain free now and I don't take meds. Hmm. Like I don't. Yep. Okay. Do I have Advil and Tylenol at home? Yeah, absolutely. I do. If I need them, I take them, but I'm not dependent on them. Whereas before when I first got diagnosed, I was taking Meloxicam and I was taking Tramadol. I was taking some, something else. I can't remember what it was. Anti-inflammatory. So interesting. Gave me an anti-inflammatory, right? Even though arthritis is not inflammation related, (laughs) but they gave me an anti-inflammatory to take in the morning. But if I have inflammation in my gut and I don't have healthy gut, taking an anti-inflammatory med is just going to make it worse because it, there's there's nothing in there. It can't do what it's supposed to do. Like mm. the, the stomach and the gut can't do its job. So I'm just putting meds in there that's just going to make it not do its job. Uh, anyway, this is a new podcast, Christine. Like you've given, <laughs> you, there's too many things to talk about. So, um, so I did that. And then I took the Tramadol at night for pain. And, and then I, so I do not recommend you do this. This is my disclaimer. (laughs) So I'm not responsible. I decided I wasn't taking my meds anymore. I didn't want to take my anti-inflammatories. I'm going to screw that. I'm not taking it. And my husband was like, is that a good idea? Sure, it'll be fine. That's what I said. My response is, sure, it'll be fine. He's like, okay. And so that night, that that was a Wednesday night. And I was like, tomorrow morning, I'm not taking my anti-inflammatory. Thursday morning. And Thursday night, I had to drive to Stratford because I taught boot camp classes Thursday night. By the time my husband got home from work at five o'clock, I was like, you have to drive me to Stratford because I could barely stand up because my pain was so bad. Oh my God. So when I got to the, he's like, okay. So he drives me, we get there. Thank goodness that the women and participants in my class have been with me for a long time. And I'm like, they looked at me and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I have pain. They're like, "Uh uh-huh. I said, so I'm just going to tell you what to do. And you're going to do it. And they're like, okay, do you need us to demo things? Yes, I do. I'll just tell who I, to whoever I want to do it, to do it. <laughs> and they're like, okay. I mean, they probably thought, what the hell have we gotten ourselves into here? This crazy woman. But anyway, <laughs> so I don't recommend it. But that being said, it, it shows the effect that the meds have on the body. Mm. However, after going through this, what happened was... And this is how I got on the journey of being Mm pain-free. I, from roller derby, I, you fall a lot when you play roller derby. And I used to land on my left hand a lot. 
And so what happened was I ended up with this gigantic lump in my wrist and it was painful. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything with it. Like even right now I have my hand here and I'm holding my head up. Like I'm just leaning on my hand I, and I couldn't do that. It hurt so much. I couldn't use this hand at all. Hmm. And so I had x-rays and CTs and I went, my doctor sent me to a hand surgeon. I get to the hand surgeon and he says to me, well, I can't help you. And I'm like, what? And he goes, well, I have all your scans. I have all your x-rays. You have a sebaceous cyst, which is just a fat filled cyst, right? He said, which is totally fine. However, it goes, what I see on your x-ray and what you're telling me is happening with the amount of pain that you have and that you can't actually use your hand. He goes, those two things don't go together. And I'm like, okay, but they are going together. And he said, but they don't. And I can't help you. Hmm. That's it. And I was like, are you kidding? And this had been going on for months, months and months and months. So my um, fitness uh, coach, I was mentoring under him. He had a friend who was this bioenergetic practitioner. And so he was in, um, out near Canada's Wonderland. Like Vaughn area? Vaughn area. So about two hours drive. And so I made an appointment with him. And so I went to see him and he said, okay, well, what's going on? And I, and I pointed to my wrist. I said, this right here is why I'm here. And he said, whoa, 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 You drove two hours to see me for that? I go, yeah, it's a sebaceous cyst, but it caused lots of pain. And he goes, what about everything else that's going on in your body right now? And I'm like, oh, that's not the problem. He goes, oh, that is the problem. Uh. And so he said, you have so much inflammation in your body that you can't recover. You can't heal. You can't do anything. Yeah, your body, body can't that's heal. right. That's right. Your yeah. body is rebelling against you. And he's like, so we're going to change what you eat. We're going to be very strict on that. I took, he gave me some supplements as well. And we worked on reducing inflammation. And what are the other triggers of inflammation that, that were in my life? And, um, he said to me, and please bear in mind, I'm a personal trainer and a fitness instructor at this point, right? And he said to me, you cannot work out at all. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I can do yoga. He goes, nope. I go, I can go for a walk. He's like, nope. And I'm like, what can I do? Like, I have clients. He goes, you, this is what he said, you can show them two reps. That's it. I don't care if you're doing one-on-ones, if you're teaching a class and there's 300 people in your class, you get to show two reps of anything that you want to as you go through and that's it and you cannot exercise and I didn't do anything for three months he said because your body is so inflamed it cannot repair itself so if you do stuff you're just putting you're you're putting it under more stress you're damaging it more it's not having time to heal Hmm. and so I started working with him then I worked with a mindset coach and I worked with a life coach and I did a whole bunch of other things and that kind of has brought me to where I am now hey I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'm popping in here to let you know that the Authenticity Launchpad cohort number two begins on July 18th. The Authenticity Launchpad is a place where a small group of four to six women come together virtually and weekly for six weeks to make shifts in their life that have them start living life more joyfully. What does that mean exactly? Well, as we go about our days, we can start to become unhappy and maybe even resentful, and it can feel a lot like life is working against us. In these sessions, we work through what's holding you back from living a life with more confidence, making better decisions for you, using your voice, and leaving perfection behind to lean into a more fun and doing more of what you want and feel more joy on the regular. For more information and to register, visit itsmechristined.com. 
www.ca slash group coaching. Well, and it brings up a lot of like valid points. Like one thing I think of is like you earlier named off like four different drugs that you were on to control pain and inflammation and all this stuff happening in your body, which was happening at like a relatively like midpoint in your life. Like we're not talking that you're already 70 and going through this, right? Like you've got lots of life left to live. So now, you know, it's like, okay, what are my alternatives here? I either take these four drugs that let's be honest, are man-made and I may, I can, I consume these and I take these for the next however many years of my life or I find alternative ways to handle the pain which I'm glad that that thing happened in your wrist because it forced you for sure and and of course you know dealing with the pain that you were dealing with and the fact that you couldn't do the work that you wanted to do because of the pain was probably a lot of what inspired you or motivated you to keep managing that pain in some way that's what I would imagine no kind of but no I was just frustrated and I was exhausted because when Mm. you're in pain so the thing about being in pain is you're just exhausted. Yes. You're completely exhausted all the time. Like you, so like before I had the diagnosis and had any sort of care um, to get better, um, I would wake up in the morning and I would lie in bed and I'd be like, how am I going to get out of bed? Like I'm in so much pain and I'm so tired. I have to get out of bed. Then I get out of bed and then I put myself in the shower and I'd cry in the shower because I was in so much pain that I had to figure out how the hell I was going to get out of my shower put my clothes on and then go to work. Oh my God. So I spent my life taking Advil and I was nauseous from it. Then I had to take gravel like, and, and just kind of going through this and nothing would help. Like nothing relieved it. Well, and it's like this invisible disease almost, right? It's like my aunt has fibromyalgia as well. And I, it's like, you, you can't tell just by looking at her. I mean, she walks a little slower and you know, she's very careful, but you wouldn't know that she's suffering from chronic pain just by looking at her. This is the problem with these silent sort of diseases, right? That well, you yes, see. yes. And I think the bigger problem, Christine, to be perfectly honest, is that people are ashamed of talking about it. Mm. And and people are tired. They don't want to say, you know, we know they don't want to set boundaries. They feel we've been conditioned. I, I truly believe we've been conditioned in society. I don't know why. I don't know when. I don't know if it's cultural. I have no idea. But we have been taught that if we set a boundary, we have to give somebody a reason. Mm. You do not have to give somebody a reason for saying no. If you want to say no, say no. It's And we've been trained to say, well, I'm sorry, Christine, I can't come to your party because, no, because the end of the sentence is, I, I'm sorry, I can't come to your party, yeah. period. Full yeah. stop. Yeah. Like, and that's not what we've been taught to do. And I think, you know, more so with women than men, and I'm making a generalization, but I do think it it, it does. I mean, fiber affects more men, women than men. So, yep. I mean, you know, that's where I'm drawing that info from. But it, we just feel that we can't say anything about it. And so when people, you know, you said earlier, you think that there are people out there that need my services, right? And could use my help. Yeah, there are a lot of them. But the thing that I would add to that is a lot of them don't want it. And the reason that they don't want it is because pain serves them. How does pain serve them? So if I am in pain, so let's imagine I'm a wife and a mother and I do all the things that I do and I have a flare, then I can say to my family, you know, mom's got a flare I'm gonna go lie down for the afternoon so it gives her the boundary and then the rest of the family's okay don't don't bug her she sleeps she doesn't feel good let her rest and she gets the time that she needs Hmm. if she gets out of pain then all of a sudden all the things that she was doing 
in pain, she will now be expected to do because she doesn't have pain. Interesting. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, I so it serves it serves people, and so it's hard because it becomes who you are, and you kind of think of it that way. If I am out of pain, then now all of a sudden I am expected to do more yep. than I was already doing, which was way too much anyway. Yeah, because and now I, be- I don't have pain. Yeah, and I believe like I I agree in that like we have been conditioned to like when we were kids, what do we learn? The girls stay in the kitchen and do the dishes. All the boys can go out and play or do whatever, and it's always the women in the kitchen. Like those are things. Now, slowly, those things are starting sure. to change and transition. Yep. But like generationally, those are things that came to us mm-hmm. through the generations of our families. So that's still where we are. That's this place. And it's interesting because I work with women and I help them on their mindset and help them find mm-hmm. their joy. And most talk about how they um, they never even thought they had a choice. They never thought they had an option to make a decision about what they wanted, what they wanted to do, how they wanted to bring joy in their life. So this makes perfect sense. It's almost like we're trained this way and then we become martyrs in that pain. And then the only way to get out of doing the things is to use our pain as an yeah. excuse. And I'm not saying no, that the no, pain no. is an excuse, yeah. but that is is that is so disheartening and you know because there are so like we can't heal physically mentally emotionally we can't do any healing until we're honest with ourselves about what's going on absolutely and I think it's it's there's all the pieces in there like you know I work with women as well and I'm sure you see this with your clients like you're a people pleaser you're the person you feel guilty like you're you have all these roles and these jobs that you are required for whatever reason to perform or maybe you're not required maybe you've that imposed that on yourself maybe you're just that overachiever whatever 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 category whatever you want to label yourself it doesn't really matter but you have to get to the heart of why you're doing it and the thing is and I say this to I've been on lots of podcasts. I say it all the time and I say it to my clients. You teach people what you will accept. Mm -hmm. So if you will accept, and I'll use an example as a mother, I hear it all the time. My kids leave everything everywhere. Well, you accept it. They're like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because you don't enforce the rules for them to put their stuff away. Well, I tell them, I know, but you don't enforce it. That's a different thing. Telling them, like I and I know this is going to sound harsh, but I'm going to use the example because it worked. I love it works, this. This okay? is tough love. I love this. I well, love it love. works though sometimes, right? <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, my mother said, "You're going to clean your room," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." She goes, "If you don't clean your room by the end of the day, I'm going to pick everything up off the floor, and I don't care what it is. I don't care who bought it. It's going in the garbage bag, and I'm going to throw it out." And I was like, "Whatever." I was 13. Whatever. You can do whatever. You know what? She came in, packed everything up, two garbage bags full, and threw it into the garage. And I thought she threw it out. <laughs> And she did throw it out. And I was like, oh my God. But I had been working at the time. So it was stuff that I had bought myself. It wasn't necessarily things that I got from my family, my parents' gift. It was things I had paid for. Oh my God. I had the cleanest room ever for the rest of my life that I lived at home because my mother was just like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Well, I think too, like, I wonder if there's something about like when I was a kid, the rules in the house are pretty strict. They were certainly pretty strict for me. I was also the middle child who was also always the trouble. So I think the rules really happened because of me, <laughs> but there were lots of boundaries, but I was always in trouble yeah. and was always, um, I was always, I always had to follow all these rules and I always had to do all these things. And so as I grew up and then had my son, 
I was like, well, I don't want my kid to feel like that all the time. Because like, I was always in trouble. I got grounded all the time. Like there was a time in high school I was grounded for an entire month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me I'll, too. Right? So I was like, now it's like, I feel like I'm not the only one, right? Who's doing this with our children. Who's saying, you know what? I don't want my kids to feel like how I felt when mm-hmm. I was a kid. But it's interesting now that we're having this conversation. And I've thought of this before. Is like, But a lot of those things really built character in us to understand that if you don't do A, then you don't get B. Like yeah. there are consequences to our actions and our behaviors. And if we choose not to do something, then it's just, and I, and I, I get what you're saying. And when I say this to my clients and we talk about this or I do podcasts or whatever, and we talk about things that they're like, they like, all I see is these wide eyes. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, that happened. And that's so harsh. Is it hard? I mean, I don't know. I didn't get smacked. I didn't get abused. Like, okay, so she's, yes, they, my mom threw out a bunch of my stuff and I was really angry about it. But I mean, like, do you know what I mean? Like the thing is, I think we've gone too far. Yeah. Well, because we're we're trying to be the opposite of what, which in some ways, some of the things that we're doing, like this hands-off parenting a little more, like there are some benefits to what we're doing. Like, right. But I think that there, there was like a middle ground that we missed somewhere. It's like we... (laughs) We went from our experience to the complete opposite. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, all the rules, no rules. Yeah. Well, you decide. Whatever you want, you decide. Yeah. Like, I mean, even thing, like to me, and again, this is speaking to people who are in this role, right? Like you are the person that makes the food, right? Mm. Well, my kids don't eat that. Well, why don't they eat that? Well, because they don't like it. Don't they? Or they just don't want it. Like, do you know, like there's a difference between I don't like that or I just, I'm not going to eat it because I know that someone's going to make me something else. You're the cook. You're the one that's in the kitchen all the time. You're the one doing all the grocery shopping. Like, and it, it sounds very harsh when I say it, but the thing is, is that you're making four different meals. Why would you do that? No wonder you're stressed and exhausted. Never mind the fact that you now have a chronic condition that you have to deal with with the pain, but you're doing four different meals because you're all your kids and your husband don't want to eat when you make, you know what? They can make the food. Yeah. Like, I mean, it sounds yeah. really harsh, but, or, or, and I say to the, my well, clients, I it, coach them, get them to be involved in it. You want, you know what? We got five people in the family. Everybody picks what they want for dinner right. one night a week. Right. And you're the in charge of making the grocery list and helping prepare it. Yeah. And but I think whatever like, it is, right? Yeah. Like my, one of my clients is like, then we're going to have hot dogs once a week. Yeah. You're going to have hot dog once a week because you hate them, but you're going to eat them because you make your kids eat things they don't like. So it's got to go both ways. Like, do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's, but in that sense, it still gives them the kids and the other people in the family, the power to make choices, but also to understand that sometimes we can't have everything that we like. I'd love to have cheesecake every day for all my meals and then follow that with some nachos and tacos. Like that's my life. That's my dream life. And a bottle of gin. Like, I mean, how much better could it get? We could sit down like that in every day. I'd be happy with that too. But you can't do that. So that's how life works. You don't get all the things you want all the time. But you know what's really fascinating? As you were talking, I was like, it's really interesting because when we were kids, our parents, now partway through our childhood, my mom did work and ended up having a small business. So she did contribute like financially to the household in that sense. But for a long time, she didn't. She was a housewife. And a lot of our moms were housewives. So now it's like we're almost confused about our roles. Actually, I think everybody's confused about their role. But anyway, (laughs) it's like we're all confused because this is what we learned. You know, we take care of the family. We do all these things. We make food from scratch. Like I do it every day. I make food from scratch. Now I don't cater. I'm like, this is it. (laughs) This is what we're eating. This is it. But like we do, we get confused, I think, between that generation and ours and how do I, you know, go to work and have a life and make time for myself and, 
you know, share this with the family. And you're right. It's like almost like what we do. We have to train our families. You have to do. We have to work together to come together so that not one person is putting in all the effort because this is what women do. It's funny when you're talking about this, there are a couple of things that are popping into my head, right? And one of the things was whenever I say the word train, people get very offended. They're like, and they like, they're okay. FYI, we have all been trained (laughs) in school, in home, in whatever religious affiliation you have, like wherever you go, we are trained. You know what? You put pants on before you go out to a store. That's training. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's training. You're trained to do these things. So when people get very offended by that word, I'm like, I don't know why you're offended. You're trained. You're trained to do everything for your family and sacrifice yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what you were trained to Mm do. So, I mean, I get it. Like, because we don't want to have the same thing, like you said, the way that we were raised. We don't want our kids to feel the same way that we did, right? Like that we have no voice and we're not being heard and we're not important, right? Because I think that's some of the messaging that some of us got as we were growing up, right? That our voice didn't matter. And that's not true. But the thing is, is that we also have to think about, you know, we've set ourselves up to the opposite extreme. And, you know, if you are in a situation where like the stuff that we're saying is resonating with you, like you need to really take a step back and look at all the things that you're doing. Like no wonder you're overwhelmed. And the thing is with boundaries and, and, and changing things is that if I am your child, Christine, and I am used to, I don't want that for dinner. And you say, what would you like, sweetie? And I can tell you, well, I want chicken fingers. And that's what I get every night. I whatever I want. You make it for me. As soon as you, as the parent say, well, that's not, we're going to have this for dinner. And I'm like, well, I don't, then there's pushback mm-hmm. because it changes for them. For the worse for them, not necessarily, but now they don't get what they want. But you're sacrificing your mental health and your reduction of stress and all the other things that come with it by putting those boundaries in place and you're teaching this is really important you're teaching your children how to behave when they're adults Mm -hmm. so now they're going to just repeat those patterns Mm -hmm. and they're going to be and like I said to a client once she has a seven-year-old daughter and we were talking about boundaries and the stress of trying to change things and not and doing all the things and all. And I said to her, okay, so let me just ask you the question this way. Cause she's like, I don't want to, I don't want to make these changes because my family's not going to like it and blah, blah, blah. I said, no problem. I said, would you like your daughter to be sitting with a coach like me when she's 40 years old, mm. deconstructing and fixing all the things that you could have guided her to do better now? And she's like, oh, well, when you say it that way, well, but it is that way. You're teaching your children to be a particular way. And however you're teaching them to behave, that's what they're bringing into their lives. And then they're going to, what, find out sometime when they are getting divorced or they can't find a partner or whatever it is, they're not successful at work. Yeah, because you expect everything to be given to you or you don't follow the rules or like whatever it is, right? Yes, because that's what you taught them was acceptable. Mm. You know what I mean? So you have to think about it more than I just, yes, is it uncomfortable? For sure. But you taught your kids to pee in the toilet, right? Okay. So you can teach them to help you make dinner. Well, and I think too, like the connection, I want to make the connection for our listeners because like I learned last night about what you were going through before you got the diagnosis and that stress was a big part of what induced this in your body because now- we're not physicians, we're not doctors, we're not sitting here advising anybody anything. But I think if you've lived in this planet long enough and you're tapped in a little bit and you realize if you eat certain foods, they make you feel a certain way. 
And like I, for example, have been um, gluten and cow dairy intolerant for years. Like Mm -hmm. since my son was three, that's when I found out. Couldn't understand why I was always in so much pain, brain fog, couldn't sleep right, headaches all the time. Took those two things out of my diet. Boom. Felt like a million dollars. I was like, holy shit. Right. So like there is so much connection between like stress is so huge. Like we overlook stress in such a massive way. I can't even get over it. Like I have now recovered three times from being in burnout in my life that I can, that I can look at it that I know of. Right. And they got to the point of the real intensity. And this last time that it happened, like the reason I had to close my businesses was like, I, I have to outlive my business. (laughs) Right. This business and the stress that, well, actually I'm really bringing on myself because I have all these expectations of what I can do and bringing this business out of a pandemic. And like, I'm doing all these things to try to make it work and it's not working and I'm, I'm creating this stress in myself. So I'm like, what's going to come first, me or the business? Well, the business had to go. Mm-hmm. Literally, it was that clear mm-hmm. to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, here we are in the world in this place where we're all living these incredibly high stress lives and we overlook stress as a huge indicator of all these things that we're having issues with, right? So so the reason I wanted to interject that is because our listeners are hearing you say, well, we're talking about boundaries, we're talking about all these things, all these things and I feel like for some of them, maybe we're ping-ponging a little over and they don't understand where you've come from yeah. from the pain side, right? Because that's where it comes from is that we're learning as women specifically. And we're talking to women generally in this conversation because we are women. Most women experience fibromyalgia. Um, and most women are the ones that are doing all of the nurturing and all of the labor and love labor in the family. And then we're also taking on the labor of the workforce and wanting to be successful and wanting to set goals for ourselves and those kinds of things. So we never take a break for ourselves. We don't have a place to de-stress unless we choose it for ourselves. So can you, I know you're bursting over here. She's bursting because I've been talking too long now, but but maybe bring us back yeah. or say what's on your heart right now, yeah. but bring us back to. Yeah. I got a lot of things to say about this. So okay. um, <clears throat> the first thing is yes, for me, this whole thing started with, with me having lots of um, blurry vision, nausea, migraines, things like that, and going to the optometrist and then them saying, get some reading glasses, and that was fine. And this was this went on for close to a year. And then finally one morning I was teaching. I went into my classroom. It was the first Monday in January. I will never forget that, Hmm. 2011. Mm -hmm. And I go into my classroom and I turn on the lights and I can't see anything. Like I've lost the vision in my eyes. And it was terrifying, like really terrifying because you're like, what is happening right now? Like those were not the words, but you know, we'll keep it PG here. (laughs) Um, And so I immediately went home and, you know, one of the, the vision came back in one of my eyes, but it stayed out of the other eye. And I ended up in bed for four months with a migraine and stress-induced vision loss. And apparently it's very common. And I said this yesterday, it's called central serious retinopathy. Very common. If you're a go-getter, you're an achiever, you do all the things, type A personality, go, 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 do, 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 do. You are susceptible for, to this condition and you don't know you have it. Because the brain just makes up the difference for the other eye. So there are people that have it. And the only way they know that they've had it is they're at uh, an ophthalmologist and they do their scans and they see, oh, you had this happen. So basically the fluid 
there's pressure on the back of the eye, the fluid that's behind the retina gets pushed through because the membrane gets really, really thin because of stress. And then the fluid leaks through and causes blurry vision. And that's what happens. But in other, that's what happened to me. In other cases where you don't know you have it, your brain just says, okay, that's fine. We can still see. And it looks like you're seeing out of both eyes, but you're not. Your brain's just making up that difference of the image that you're seeing. Wow, that's incredible. It's crazy. And and the thing is, is that it was all stress-induced. And when you when you do some research on fibro, so is it true? I, I mean, I kind of agree that it's true. Trauma is the catalyst for fibro showing up. Mm. Um, and so I think that that was the trauma that because resulted in... Because stress that yeah. lives in the body. Right. And like, the- like, like, I just want to mention that for a second because I think that, you know, this isn't something we're taught, certainly not in North America. We're a very like medicine doctor society instead of a natural approach. What is my body trying to tell me right now? Oh, yeah. Because we ignore all the signs. We do. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of taught to. Yep. Like whenever I worked for the man in corporate, anytime I was sick, I mean, I may have gotten a day, but if I was sick for more than one day, I got the guilt and shame that I should be back at work. So I was taking sick meds so I could go back to work so I could do my thing. Yeah. Right. Like that's conditioned in us to just it's, keep going. It's horrible. Never take a lunch. Always sit at my desk. Never leave early to make up for the lunch that I missed. Never taking breaks. Like all of these things are a part of how we learn. So like, you know, one of the things that I really want to make an impact of in the world, like this isn't my place. So I want to find all the right people to help us figure all these parts out is like, how do we unlearn all those parts? I mean, clearly mindset is a big part of it. And we both talk about this, not only here, but with our clients, but Mindset's a huge part of it, but like, how can we start to change that conditioning around us so that that is not as impactful so that we can start to really make some change happen? I think that's what happens here. You know, we're having, we have a podcast, we're sitting here talking about these things that are hard to talk about that most people aren't willing to talk about because it's not mainstream, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I really try not to get caught up in mainstream. Like, I don't turn on the news. I don't listen. Most of it's bullshit. Like, I just don't listen to it. And, you know, I think it's part of our conditioning, right? And so... I'm sorry if you're listening and you don't like that comment, but that's that's a reality. I, I, I'm sorry, but that's it, the way it is. it is. It is. And if you don't have an open mind to look at all of the sides, then you're not getting the information, right? Yes. I have so many things to say. Right. right now. <laughs> so, so, but I, but I love that we're having this conversation because, you know, you ultimately went through and put yourself through so much stress. And actually, as you were discussing that even today and last night, when I heard you talk about that story, I'm like, oh my God, in all three, I'm getting goosebumps in all three times that I was in high stress. I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, why is my vision all fuzzy? Like I can't see right now very well. And like, that has happened to me more times than I can count. And like, we need to get the message. Like, mayday, mayday, SOS, we are doing shit wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. We need to, like, woo! Like, let's listen to Fran and let's learn from each other. When our bodies are speaking to us, let's start listening. Yeah. Because it knows best. It does. And the thing, you know, I do lots of talks on stress. I have a course that I run that's a four-week course just on stress and managing stress and how to deal with that. And the thing that I would say 
is, you know, I agree with everything what you, that you said, you know, we are conditioned. Don't take a sick day. If you take a sick day, then you have to get, you know, a doctor's note. And then I have to go to my doctor to get the doctor's note. And then it's just a hassle for me. If you're like, I was teaching, okay, you have to have a supply lesson for this. Oh my God. It's just easier for me to take the sick, the meds and just go to work sick. Right. But the thing is, is that you have sick days, like you take them because the, so number one, I want to say this to you because it happened to me when I left my job. Guess what? I was in bed. Like when I was in bed for four months, they had someone teaching my class the next day. Right. You will be replaced tomorrow. You're not that important. I'm sorry. And I hope that like people might get offended and go, oh my God, I'm don't listen to me. It's fine. I don't have no problem with that. But I'm telling you, your employer does not value you. If your employer feels and makes you feel guilty, and I mean, part of it we do to ourselves, absolutely, yep. but some of it comes from the outside. If your employer is making you feel that way, they don't value you at all. Zero. They value you for the workhorse that you are. Mm. And that's it. Yes. And I'm sorry. And anybody that's out there listening, I'm like, if you are a manager, if you are running a business, you need to check in to see how your employees feel because they do not feel valued. And I am confident in saying that 95%, even higher of all employees feel exactly like that. Unvalued and un, and not worth anything and that their company just doesn't care about them. Because it's true. That's how it is. We're built, we're taught, we're trained to just work, 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 yeah. work. Well, it's like, I remember, I mean, we would book in overtime and then that overtime would basically become a part or an attachment to your vacation time which most people in my work atmosphere never took. And then they would get to the end of the year and they would have so many days where they could use that vacation time. And then they're like, oh, but I have projects piling up. I can't go and take that vacation time now. And if you're listening to this and this is a story in your life, you need to make a change because that vacation time, like you need what they give you and more, (laughs) right? And so if you're putting in the, and it's so funny because I remember someone saying this to me and they're like, it's part of the culture. And if you, you have to start taking your breaks, you have to start taking your lunches because if you don't, you're setting a standard for the people around you and they, they're just going to come to expect more. Yeah. And it's like the more that you work, the more that you add to your plate, the more efficient you become, the more valuable you become to them and yeah. the more they're going to put on your plate. But the second you can't make it into work. There's a guilt and shame story that's going to happen there, right? So we I feel like we could go off on this little tangent for a while. So let's bring her back to okay. the... <laughs> so, ulti- but it's a whole great conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to have to have you come back, Fran, because sure. I feel like we have so much to talk about. Um, but ultimately, I guess, to sort of, you know, <laughs> if we can even wrap this up, how are you helping women and what are maybe a few tips that you can give the women that are listening to this right now who have I guarantee you found themselves in at least one scenario that we have talked about already what are a few of those tips that you can give them and how can you help them on the other side right so you know the thing that I would say to people I'm going to give you tangible things that I want you to do okay so number one you are going to really think about do you feel stress because I find talking about it and doing a course that I run, um, on stress management, we use stress as a kind of a catch all phrase. So what I would say is truly check in and are you feeling stressed or is it anxiousness or is it worry or is it anger or are you frustrated? Are you sad? What is the emotion that you're feeling? Because when you say that it's stress, 
and then I, or I say that it's frustration. Well, there's two different ways to deal with that. So you really need to identify the emotion that you're truly feeling. And, and in many cases, it's not stress. Um, there's something else happening. So that's number one piece of advice that I give people. Number two, I really like to talk about stress in very simple terms, internal and external stress. That's it. You can do lots of research. There's tons of it out there. Don't even bother. It's like blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. There's lots of reading. Blah, blah, blah. Jumble, jumble, whatever, blah, blah. Uh, so I do too, internal and external. And it's super easy. External stressors are things that you don't have control over. FYI, your spouse, your children, your workplace, your boss, schedules, COVID, all those things. The you weather, have, whatever. The weather. You have zero control. Like, so I was not stressed during COVID. You know why? No control. Mm-hmm. I have no control over COVID. Whether mm-hmm. it comes, goes, all I can do is the internal thing. So these are the things I control. My thoughts, my feelings, my actions, my words. All of those things are things I control. My reactions, all of that is under my control. So what I say to people, and I'm encouraging everyone that's listening to this, you're going to get out a piece of paper and you're going to write down every single thing that causes you stress in your life. And you're going to be specific. You're not going to write family. No, my husband, my son, my daughter, my dogs, my six cats, whatever it is. Very, very specific. You're going to write it all down. And when people do this, they kind of lose their minds because there's a lot of things sometimes on the list, (laughs) but I'm going to make it really easy for you. Because once you make your list, the second step is you're going to look through each item and you're going to decide, is it internal or external? And if it's external, you're going to put a little E beside it. And if it's internal, you can put a little I beside it. And then step number three, which is the best part, all the things that are external, you're going to cross them off your list. Interesting. Because those are things that you have no control over. So we can guide people. We can encourage our children because I find that family is sort of the biggest stressor. We can encourage our children to make a good choice and to do the things that we want them to do. And, you know, protect them and all all those things. But ultimately, they're going to decide if they do something stupid, like that's their choice right? There will be consequence. So this is where the consequence piece comes. This is where, you know, you have to respond appropriately so that they can learn and not repeat these things, right? But then there are consequences for them doing that. Mm -hmm. So like you said, you were grounded for a month. Yeah, so was I more than once. (laughs) I think once, uh, twice every school year, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, and that's just how it was. Yep. And I was like, okay, that's how it goes. That's the rule. And I did things that I shouldn't do. And this is my consequence for it. And so when you think about your stressors, internal are ones that are about you, basically. And external are the ones that are about everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I use this as a good example, doing a podcast or doing a talk like I did last night. When I come to these things and I do talks or podcasts, I come with the intention that one, I'm going to hopefully teach somebody something new that they can take away, give them something actionable that they can do. And I'm going to give 150%. That's it. So that's what I stress about things I control. The ultimate thing, the external stressors. If I talk on the stage and the audience thinks I'm terrible, I have no control over that. Coming to do a podcast, not stressful for me at all. Standing on the stage last night talking, not stressful. Because I've come to it with myself prepared, giving as much as I can. What other people think about me, people listening to your podcast, Christine, might go, she's an idiot. I don't like anything that she said. And then there are other people who are going to be like, my gosh, she was amazing. Like it's going to, right? But I have no control over that. So do I care? And I, and I, when we say we don't care, people get offended. So don't get offended, but 
Do I care? Not really. My hope is that it resonates. My hope is that you actually take something away and implement it. But ultimately, there are people I don't I don't like what she says, and I disagree. No problem. Uh, you can disagree. I, I I have no attachment to that external stressor or that external opinion. It just doesn't matter to me yeah, because why do we I get know. So caught up, but in, we do. Yeah, we are so caught up like, in everybody look at any, else. Any thread in any group in any Facebook group. Like, what are you doing wasting your time in there is all I have to ask. Yeah. Like, you're spending your energy trying to change the mind of somebody that is an external thing from you. You have no control over it. So why are we so easily offended? I would actually love to know where that came from. You know, it's just so interesting when you think about it. But yeah. but here's the thing. When you come back to that, like, you know, conditioning talk that we were saying earlier, it's like we stop questioning why we do things and we just do them. And then all of a sudden, someone like you or me, you know, the women that work with me or the women that work with you, we go, well, why are you doing it that way? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? No one's ever asked me that before. Right. Well, now we're asking because it's important to ask the questions. It's important to, like you said, I love this, this stress, the external and internal. I love this list. It's so clear. It's so simple. And it breaks it down so easily because we get caught up in there. Honestly, there's so many things. Like every woman who's listening to this is like, oh my God, like I have so many stresses on my list. Like how do I possibly get rid of all of those? Well, one at a time. Yeah. And that's my next tip that I would say, like I, and this is what I guide my clients to. And this is what I do. You get three tasks a day. One big one, two small ones. That's it. That's what you do. Three tasks a day. So your big tasks, so let's say you're working on a project, okay? So Christine, maybe you're working on, you know, building another extension of this podcast, right? So every day you'll do one thing, doesn't matter how small it is, that moves you a little bit forward towards completing that big task, that extension of this podcast. And it doesn't matter. It can be five minutes of your day. It makes no difference. But it's the thing you do first. It's the big thing. Okay. It's not going to take you five minutes. Just FYI. I know. It's the big oh, thing. I but anyway, know. but anyway, right. <laughs> yeah. But then you do two other things. Okay. And that you can check them off your list. And I, whenever I say this, people are like, I have 20 things to do in a day. Okay. Well, you can do 20 things in the day. You just have to make sure that you get those first three done. Everything else is gravy. But if your focus is, I have to get these three things done, then It doesn't matter if it takes you all day or half a day or one hour. It makes no difference. You have done your to-do list for the day. Your brain, your little Virgo (laughs) checky listy person heart that I have is very excited about that, (laughs) right? And so I've done my things. I'm like, whoa, success. Now I have the freedom to do the other things. And I'm not stressing about those other things because the three things were my goal. Yeah. And the thing is, the list is ever growing. Of course. It never ends. And especially as an entrepreneur, you're always going to have things on your list. I mean, whether you work corporately or for yourself, it really, honestly, the list never ends. Yeah. Right? So that's an easy, really, I learned that uh, really new into my first business and took me a long time to get into the habit of that. And sometimes I still struggle with that because it's like, and you have moments, sure, where it's like, it's higher go time, right? You've got a project that's coming out. You're launching something next week. Okay. So for the next several days you know I'm pushing the line I'm doing all these extra things to try to get more done and then whoo okay we're back to three a day yeah <laughs> first probably a whole day off or two and then back to yeah. three things a day and that's fine so it's it like ebbs finding and flows. That, yeah. absolutely but like I find like well many of us just keep going especially like you were saying earlier like the high achievers those of us that are go 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 we're always we always feel like I talk with this with my ladies is like we always feel like we have to be productive like just sitting down and enjoying a cup of coffee in the morning. No, I don't have time for that. I got to take my coffee to my desk and I got to get started. No, actually, 
you don't. And that's just a difference in, you know, living in masculine or feminine energy, mm. right? Like that, like you're, we're, we're that go, go, go and being productive is all masculine energy, which is, which is counterproductive and, and doesn't work if you're trying to create things and you're trying to do things. You are living in masculine energy. Feminine energy is the creation piece. Yes. So you cannot be in flow and in creativity if you're sitting in masculine productivity. You can't. It doesn't work. You're in the wrong energy. Mm -hmm. So you have to actually go into the relaxing and the drink your coffee without doing 700 other things at the same time. Like you, you really need to shift the way that you're looking at things. And the more that you do that, the more you actually get done. It's very interesting because when people, when I guide people to do this, they're like, I can't possibly do three things in a day. I'm like, I'm not saying you're only going to do three things. I'm saying those are your priorities. Whatever happens later is fine. And they find over time that they're kind of like, I I had a client say to me, I just kind of flow from like one thing to the other and then sometimes it works and then other times it's a total shit show and I go eh, I can put it on my list for tomorrow like and that's just how they do like it's it, it just changes your perspective yeah on things, because right? that whole like I find too once you figured it out you know like now I don't I'm not going to stress about the things that I can't control at all because they are a waste of my energy and time yeah and I no longer want to live in the masculine energy world that was created for us because let's be honest, the yep. working world was created by men yep. and with men rules. And I don't have anything against men. I feel like I sometimes have to say that just to ensure that anybody listening, I have nothing against men, but that's how the world was created Absolutely. based on this, on this productivity. That's well, and it makes sense when you look at it, that traditionally the men went to work and the women stayed home, right? Yes, of course it's changing, but it's not changing that much. There are still a lot of people that are very traditional in that sense. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I don't, I mean, staying at home, taking care of stuff is the hardest job ever, but it's designed for people that are going to the workplace. Their focus is being productive. And when they come home, they don't have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is for women. Women mm -hmm. have entered the workforce and we are also doing all the other things at home that we did before. That's right. So we're doing two jobs and we're getting paid for one. And the other one that we're doing that we're not getting paid for, we don't get acknowledged for any of it ever. Right? Like it's true though. Yeah. And, and then we feel somehow shame and guilt for not doing yeah, enough. Absolutely. Which is ridiculous. And I like men too. Just, I like women. I like everybody. <laughs> just, I got to put yeah, that Yeah, we're not pointing fingers at no, anyone in particular. All. But I think that, I think that the real part of the conversation here that continually comes into these podcast episodes is that, you know, women do have unique challenges in the world and in life. And we are coming through a very interesting time in the world and we are, things are changing at a really rapid pace mm -hmm. and it's time. It is time that we rise. It is time that we start putting down those boundaries and time to say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. No is a complete sentence. I don't need to give you a reason. I don't need to feel obligated to come to your 500 events this year. Mm -hmm. If I don't feel like it or guess what? I, I can change my mind. Yeah. I can say yes. And then I can say no. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like who made these rules? Anyways. Okay. Yes. Listen, I know. Okay, we can so, yeah. <laughs> we can talk. For, so, you know, like, and you asked, so I'm going to answer it. So yeah. I work with my clients. So we do, we, we work together one-on-one. -on -one. I also have a group coaching program coming out in, um, in a couple months. And so we work on these things, setting boundaries, reducing stress, f dealing with inflammation, talking about mindset and negativity and things like that. So I guide them through that and how help them support them to make these changes in their lives. And sometimes, you know, I think ultimately I would say to anybody that's listening, 
if you tell your family, whatever that looks like, if you say to your family, you know what, like I just can't anymore. If they love you, which they do, they will help. They will make changes. And if you are direct and honest with them, like I just can't do it anymore and I need you guys to pick up some of the pieces because I'm just not doing that anymore. And hold that line. And, and hold, yeah, absolutely. You need to maintain that. Like, it's not like you do it for a couple months and, and go back. And you're not a bad person or a bitch a bad, because you decide that you're going to hold the line. Do you not want, like, I had, it, it boggles my, do you not want to raise children, humans that are self-sufficient, can take care of themselves, can cook things, like, can clean a house, like, do you can do their laundry, do you not want, like, you don't want them to, like, show up at, at a university, and they finish, and they're like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I always tell people, my son's 15, and I always tell people that I'm raising the husband that I can yes. never find for myself. Absolutely. So that he's a really good partner, partner, not just husband. Yes. He's a really good partner for somebody in his life in the future. Yep. Right? And that's what my husband is. His parents raised him to be a good partner. Amazing. Oh my God. Fran, you're going to have to come back and talk to us again sometime okay. soon. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you have too. You can tell these are two pretty passionate ladies sitting here having <laughs> I got a little, I got a little excited about the stress thing here. I'm like very, it is the, but it you know is what? The, it, it, the thing so is vital. like, but the thing is, here's the thing. Women are not allowed to be loud, right? I mean, this is why I was told to shut up my whole life yeah, and be quiet. And Christine, care. you're too much. You're too loud. You're all these things. No, you know what? Enough. I'm going to say the things. Yeah. And if you don't like it, just like you said, fine, that's okay. You don't have to like it. But but you know what? We we need to be having these conversations. And and I, I'm grateful that you came and sat in my kitchen and we had this conversation together and that we're gonna do it again sometime soon. And you know, really this place, and I hear from women all the time, and they're telling me, like, thank you for talking about these things because no one talks about these things. And it's important. So if it if it if it woke something up in you or you're mad about it. Go down that line and figure yeah. out why you're mad about it. Yeah. Because there's something, there's a trigger in there for you, right? And maybe you're not even listening anymore and I'm talking to air, but <laughs> you know, but it is, it's an opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper yeah. and go, why am I upset about that? Why am I triggered? What's going on there? Maybe I am upset that I am basically the person in my household that does everything and I am tired of doing everything, yeah. literally probably sick and tired of doing yeah. it all. So thank you again, Fran, for coming. It's My been a, an absolute honor to have this conversation with you. And thank you to our listeners. You know what it's like around here. Sometimes conversations get a little heated. We get a little excited. I didn't drop one F-bomb. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I didn't either, which is actually shocking. I, there's I'm often an F-bomb. Good. And um, we just appreciate you being here and listening. And I know that there's at least one takeaway in this conversation for you. Heck, Fran gave you an, a really easy checklist to help you reduce your stress in your life. So I hope you take that checklist seriously. I hope you go and use it and try it. And I hope you come back for the next episode and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'd like to invite you to hit the follow button on this podcast so you'll be notified when the next one drops. And if you liked this episode, please share it and leave a review as it will help others find this message. Find everything about my mission of helping women find more joy in their lives by visiting it's me, christinedee.ca. Thank you again. I'll see you next time.